0: I'm your host, Doug Stewart, and I have another podcast host with me. His name is John Odermatt. You've probably heard of him if you listen to lots of Libertarian podcasts. He's the co-founder of Lines of Liberty Network and host of the Finding Freedom podcast. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Doug. And yeah, I am one of the OG podcasters. (laughs) I've been doing this for too long. (laughs) That's really
1: great. I mean, do you remember what year you started? I think seven years ago is when I officially launched. My old show was called Felony Friday. So I've been doing it for seven years, but prior to that, one of my other co-founders at Lions of Liberty, who has since moved on to his own show, but Mark Clare, he started the Lions of Liberty podcast, the Mm -hmm. network thing that we did. Before that, we had a blog and a bunch of stuff, but I used to appear on his show all the time. So it's probably been like almost a
0: decade. Okay. Wow. All right. So yeah, for this podcast, we started in, I was just looking up some of our old files. We started in 2017 and we've gone weekly since and we've even expanded to a network now instead of just simply a single podcast. And you've actually had at least one of our podcast hosts on as a guest, Jacob Winograd. So I'm sure people would want to check that out. So the laws of libertarian podcasting require me to ask you how you became a libertarian. Were you born this way? That might be a more (laughs) updated, progressive way to ask this question. (laughs)
1: I think there's maybe like one or two libertarians who were born that way. (laughs) Yeah, I was raised in a conservative Christian household. Growing up was definitely, I guess I would say, in hindsight, was definitely neoconservative. Did not really even know what that term was at the time, obviously. I remember going through college and getting in uh, very heated arguments about the Iraq war and how George W. Bush was spreading democracy in the Middle East. So what changed my mind on that and kind of opened my eyes to some different philosophies and to libertarianism was Ron Paul's run in 2008. I had some friends that had been following his Texas Straight Talk column for years Mm. and reading it. And when he ran, they started to talk about this congressman from Texas. And it was confusing to me because they were explaining a Republican who was anti-war and then they started <laughs> ranting about this federal reserve, stuff that was going on inflating the money supply. And I'm like, what are you guys even talking about? This isn't making any sense. So I went down the old YouTube rabbit hole with Ron Paul. And that's really where I started. Then I became a habitual reader of LouRockwell.com, And this kind of went from there, but a group of our friends from college started just like an email chain where we would talk about different libertarian ideas, different solutions, And ultimately, we decided we're just kind of like writing these long emails back and forth to each other. Why don't we start one of those blogs that people have? Okay, (laughs) let's start one of those blogs. And we all went to Penn State. So we called it Lions of Liberty, Penn State's the Nittany Lions. And that's where Lions of Liberty started. Just with a blog, we would write and primarily we would write about to start with, I guess, the Federal Reserve and foreign policy and Ron Paul's presidential run. And then to I guess to track forward into the start of the podcast and Mark started it he kind of started it by accident he had an interview with or he was gonna have a a conversation with Stephen Kinsella about intellectual property and Stephen Kinsella was like why don't you just record it and release it as a podcast Mm. and this was like
0: just at the beginning of podcast I don't even think Tom Woods had started his podcast yet no that wouldn't he would have been a little later than when you're talking about. Yeah. It was like
1: almost at the exact same, it was within the year though. I remember that. So Mark released it. And then the way we got a lot of traction early on with it was, if you remember the, uh, website, the daily Paul, it was like a forum where you talk about different political ideas and topics and posting it onto the daily Paul is where we got a lot of our first initial listeners. And also back then there were like no other libertarian podcasts. So that's kind of how we, uh, got our start with that. And I started appearing on Mark's show. Kind of my niche became talking about the criminal justice system. And Mark said, we have this podcast. We have a bunch of listeners here. We're looking at our numbers on the podcast and there's thousands of people listening. We're looking at our numbers on the blog and there's hundreds of people reading. I think we should be doing more podcasts. So I started Felony Friday with really no plan at all other than to talk about the criminal justice system and the injustice that, you know, that it's the reality of it. And just kind of fell into this world of interviewing people, interviewing felons who'd been to prison, most of my interviewees for nonviolent crimes, but I've interviewed people who've committed murder and have done some, you know, pretty terrible things. But ultimately, and often through finding Christ in prison, we're able to turn their life around and find success on the other side. And did that for years and years and years. And I have hundreds of interviews. With felons. And I still do from time to time. I still will interview people who've been to prison because that is something I'm very passionate about. And I think those stories are important to get out there. But when COVID hit, it kind of just shook my whole world that for years and years, we're talking on social media, on Twitter, on these podcasts about these hypotheticals that could happen if the state did this, if the state did that. And then all of a sudden, yes, the state just shut down everyone's mm. business and told us we can't leave our house. And then eventually tells us that in order to leave our house, we have to get the shot of pharmaceuticals. And it just shook me. And I wanted to talk to people who were going through it, business owners, how people were navigating it with their faith. I just wanted to hear people's stories in that regard, living through this moment in time. So that's why I pivoted to finding freedom to give me mm. more of a bandwidth to
0: discuss those ideas. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the criminal justice system element of fighting for liberty, because I know that most libertarians have, I would say they're not generalists in that we all as humans have a set of, or maybe even just one topic that like we're really passionate about. Was that it for you? Was it the criminal justice system was just like the most egregious form of anti-freedom that our government is perpetrating against people? Or were there some other factors or maybe am I describing it completely wrong for you? Like, was it just one thing you just happened to be knowledgeable about?
1: No, I think that's a really good question. It's something that I honestly real, in, like in hindsight, reflecting on, like, how did I get down this path? Like, I start to realize more things. And one piece of it is my father is a lawyer and he's done defense law. He's done criminal law and sitting around the dinner table growing up. That's what we would do. He would talk about his cases. And mm. OK. I never became a lawyer, but that definitely planted a seed. And it's really something I haven't thought about that much until the past few years, but that definitely was a big influence. And I really should bring my dad on to interview him about about some of those cases, the ones he can talk about at least. But like so many things in life, you know, what ultimately I think affects people and influences our actions is things that happen to us personally and affect our personal lives. And that's what happened with the criminal justice system is someone very close to my wife and I got caught up in essentially an undercover buy from a police officer where they were selling marijuana, they were selling weed, and there was repeated undercover buys, entrapment, essentially, in order to get to the point where they could charge him with the felony. And this was on a college campus. So they did this big drug raid and they arrested, I don't know, six people, maybe five or six people. And the only one where they didn't find any paraphernalia or marijuana in his house was, I don't want to use the name of the relationship to protect him, but it was the person who we know. Everyone else they did, but looking back on it, he probably didn't have the best attorney representing him. And what happened was the people he thought were his friends, I think ended up cooperating with the police and he ended up doing the most amount of time, which was a little over a year in jail, and then ultimately time in a halfway house. And what I came to realize was when this happened, this happens to so many people and to obviously much larger degrees with lives being impacted and people spending decades in prison. So, I mean, hearing this, you might think, oh, he only was in for a year and then had to go in a halfway house. But it does, I mean, it really rocks your entire life and you start to realize that really the only way that he was able to get back on his feet quickly is because he had support from from family and people who could help to get him a job to get in the door and then help to, you know, drive him around so he could get to that job and then ultimately learn to trade and get back on his feet. And you just start to see how easily things could spiral out of control. That was a big piece. And prior to that, my eyes were kind of open up just overall injustice and inequality when I was living out in California. I was raised in Pittsburgh as we were talking pre-show. Raised in suburbia, raised in, we called it growing up in a bubble, wasn't exposed to a lot of outside stuff. Not like there weren't drugs in my high school and things like that, but it was one of those suburbs where the kids, if they got caught with that, they weren't, they weren't going to prison. So when I was in California, I was working as a management trainee. So when I first got there, the plant manager needed to hire a bunch of people to work out in the plant to run the equipment and what better person to help sort through resumes than a, uh. New hire out of college. I don't know what he was thinking, but he had me sort through the resumes. And as I was looking through them, paging through the stack of resumes, just by instinct, I didn't get instructed to do this. I just started taking out all of the people who had a criminal history and putting them in a, you know the, in the discard pile. After I did that, and I had a you know stack of ten or fifteen resumes to bring in for interviews, I took it up to the plate manager, showed him to him, and he's looking through the stack of resumes, and he sees that there's. Nobody there with any criminal history. And he's like, This is odd. We always have a you know a handful of people that we'll bring in to interview who've at least had some sort of criminal history misdemeanor, some sort of low-level drug offense. And I'm like yeah, I took all of those out of the pile for you. I thought you wouldn't want to interview those people. And he, you know, takes me aside and explains that a lot of people working in the plants, they wouldn't have enough people to run the plant probably in that area. It's the Indian Empire just an hour east of Los Angeles, just outside of uh, Riverside, California, they probably wouldn't have enough people to operate the plant if they didn't hire people who had a criminal background. So that was a big eye-opener. And then working there for a year, getting to work out on the plant floor as a supervisor, getting to know a lot of these people, learned about their families. And you just, I mean, you realize they're just like you, just like me. And maybe they made a mistake, you know, and we could debate what degree of mistake that is and if they should have been in prison or not. But you realize that they deserve a second chance, obviously. And that was a big turning point for me as well.
0: That's a pretty powerful story. I don't know how to follow up with any questions more specifically (laughs) on that. You know, you and I are recording on Good Friday of 2023 for those listening in the future. Hello, future people. It's interesting to me that when we consider the grace that God has given us and that you and I can look at the rest of the world, at other humans, and look at them with compassion the way Christ did and look at somebody as like worthy of either a second chance or a third chance or or even more than that, right? Mm -hmm. I have often, you know, as a parent, you sometimes, or not you sometimes, you often get a glimpse of the kind of compassion you ought to have for other people. And by that, I mean, I've learned as a parent that sometimes it's not my kid's fault that that's how they're acting. I realize that they're responsible for their actions, they're responsible for noticing it, they're responsible for correcting sinful behavior or even just misbehavior in the sense of like they aren't conforming to our family's whatever mm-hmm. culture and you look at people outside your family and you're just like well it's not their fault they're a sinner yeah they need to take responsibility but it gives you the ability to have compassion because at the same time that's how God is viewing us and that is something that I have I would say over the past five years or so has been a small piece of what I've grown as a Christian in my ability to sort of see other people in a compassionate frame, as it were. So I have yet to extend that to hardcore left-wokists, woke people, but maybe I'll grow in faith this year and do that.
1: I mean, the last part there, that's something that I really am struggling with right now. With all of these things happening, I kind of go back and forth on this. I mean, this isn't the first time in the history of the world where debauchery and sexual immorality and, you know, this sort of Trans agenda has become prevalent in the world. It's not the first time. And I do struggle as a Christian with how to respond to it. I mean, obviously you don't want to promote it, but I kind of have been self-reflecting. And part of my journey as a Christian over the past, like, especially the past year or two years. And it's definitely affected a lot of the content that I put out Mm -hmm. and some of the podcasts that I'll go on is... I have to be careful what I'm promoting. I don't want to be promoting sin and that part of the culture. So it's a tough line to toe because yes, of course you don't want to promote this woke agenda, but you still want people to know that the path out of that is through Christ. And that's the only path out. And something that, that I've learned as a Christian, and you know, I've, I feel like I've had this like slow growth as a Christian. I hear all, all these testimonials of people Finding Christ and, you know, it seems like the, at least the way they explain it, I'm sure it's not this way that often, but it sounds like things turn around right away. And I feel like my story, there's so much up and down where I feel like I'm on track and and, then I'm falling off track, but it's finding that way to let people know that just go to Christ, just start attending church, start reading the Bible, changing all these behaviors. That's not something for me to do. You know, that's something Christ has to do. Mm within the individual's heart.
0: Yeah, I mean, that actually, what you just said there is response to my thoughts there, sort of pivots to the thing I wanted to ask you next, which is when you're, you're, you had a guy reach out to me to have this conversation, and one of the things that was suggested that we talk about was how to take command of our our own personal liberty, which, I've kind of always known this, but there's that libertarian streak of, let's just be outraged at the system, at what's happening, let's vote or sometimes most libertarians aren't going to be too strong on that one in particular, but let's be active. Let's advocate. Let's go and fight online and all of that. But at the end of the day, I have to think about what does my life look like to be free and what does it look like for me to create a free life for my family in as much as it's possible for me to do so. Is that what you mean by take command of our liberty or is it something a little different?
1: I mean, I think taking command of our liberty, taking command of our freedom This kind of goes back to the change I've had that was sort of induced by the COVID regime, where as a libertarian, previous to that, I was very much invested in, we can change things by having this podcast and this platform. And if we just get big enough, and maybe if we use politics, and maybe if we get, not necessarily get someone elected, but, you know, have like a Ron Paul type running for president or someone else running for governor or Larry Sharp running for governor, or whoever your favorite libertarian political yeah. candidate is running for that position to get the message out. So more people will come to these ideas and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera, we all become free. I don't know if anyone really has a plan, how that happens, but that's, that was kind of the path that I was on. And I realized that sure, I think there is a place for that, but ultimately we need to find freedom within our own lives. And I think that's different for almost everybody. I can't tell people exactly how to do that. I think for some people, it's going to be realizing that maybe being in corporate America, sitting in a eight by eight cubicle or however big cubicles are, I forget, haven't been in an office for a while. Luckily I work remote. That's one change I made <laughs> with COVID. I I don't <laughs> want to go not to an office anymore. I just don't want to be in that environment of work remote and have more control over my time but making that decision, taking control of your time. Maybe you're someone who needs to be in an office. Maybe that's what you're called to do because there's going to be people that have to be in an office. There's going to be people, obviously people who have to work in hospitals and be doctors and nurses and all kinds of different jobs. So I, I'm not trying to you know, put this on anyone else, but I guess the takeaway would be, look at your own life. What are the areas where you feel like you are confined or restricted? And I'm assuming most people who are listening to this probably are Christians. And I think- Often I fall into the trap of just trying to force things and change things myself. But I would just say to pray and go to Christ with that, with what you're worried about, what you think you might want to change and let those things sort of happen in your life. And of course, I mean, letting them happen, you're not just going to sit back with your hands up and things will just happen for you, but things might just become readily apparent to you that you need to take this action, take this leap of faith. And oftentimes, the changes I've made in my life, in my career, or in different areas, they just come out of left field. And I can just tell that it's God working in my life. And I would say that people need to look for those opportunities. I think we do need more libertarians, more Christians who are business owners, who are changing the world that way, who are participating in their community that way, meeting people, networking, influencing thought. So that's definitely the shift that I had. And there's this greater, I should say, debate in the libertarian community between what I first talked about with advancing liberties or what's called spreading the message, which I think there is a place for that. And then there's the other side that came out of it where they've been referred to or maybe self-branded as the post-libertarians. Many are good friends of mine. And there's these like two sides of the debate, which the one side, the post-libertarians, do definitely promote this path of Finding freedom in your own life, getting independent as much as you can from the system, trying to create some additional streams of income. So, if you do lose your job or if you do have your business shut down by the government, that maybe you have something to fall back on. So, there's these two sides. And I don't think it's a binary choice. I think it's presented by people on both sides of this debate that it has to be, it needs to be one or the other. I don't necessarily think it does have to be one or the other, but I think each individual has to find the mixture. Mm-hmm. that works best for them. And especially those people who maybe, you know, maybe if you can't afford your own apartment or your own car or things like that, can't afford to live on your own and you're living paycheck to paycheck, maybe you shouldn't be spending a thousand dollars to go to Pork Fest or to go to a libertarian convention or to do things like that. <laughs> maybe you should be saving your money for that car and saving your money to get your own apartment and trying to get to a point where you can attract a spouse and start building a family.
0: Hello, everyone. It's Doug from the Libertarian Christian Podcast. You might notice already that this recording sounds quite a bit different from usual. In fact, it probably sounds pretty crappy. Well, I'm doing this to show you something pretty amazing. As you might know, the guys over at Podsworth Media have been producing my show for several years, quite a while, hundreds of episodes. And now they have a brand new online app for taking rough recordings like this one and making them sound a whole lot cleaner and a lot more listenable in just a few easy clicks. So here are some of the core features. They remove background noise, it reduces plosives, which is really handy for me because I often forget to put my pop filter on before I do a YouTube video. I often forget to put my pop filter on before I do a YouTube video because pop filters look terrible when you're on camera. It fixes clipping. It removes clicks and pops. It fixes clipping. It removes clicks and pops. It evenly levels dialogue so that you don't have somebody talking really quietly. And then somebody talking really loud because they're too close to the mic or too far away from the mic. And evenly levels dialogue so that you don't have somebody talking really quietly. And then somebody talking really loud because they're too close to the mic or too far away from the mic. How do you use it? It's easy. You go to podsworth.com. You click get started. And because you're a listener to one of the Libertarian Christian Institute's podcasts, you can get 50% off your first order by entering the promo code LCI50. That's LCI50 and you will get 50% off your first order. If you are doing anything like a podcast, a video, a sermon, an audiobook, anything that's spoken word, you want to use podsworth.com and clean up your audio to be even more professional and polished. You want to use podsworth.com and clean up your audio to be even more professional and polished. Have you had to make any difficult choices that would... Make your life more free, but, you know, there were hurdles to overcome to get there. Absolutely. You don't have to actually explain in any particular detail per se, but I think what I'm interested in here is the steps needed to take to kind of overcome those hurdles. Because I think that is a huge issue for, well, for any individual, but for a lot of people, it's like, well... I can't be free unless my kids can go to a private school, and I don't have the money for that. So, we need school choice. So, we need that. Like, you can come up with all these reasons why the system is against you, or you can take control. And sometimes that is costly. And sometimes it's a little bit tough to kind of find your way into.
1: Yeah. Well, that's an outstanding question. So, I think, you know, something that I've learned, which really I've been reflecting on a lot recently, and I do work a full time job. I do, I mean, I have this Lions of Liberty podcast. I have a couple other. Side businesses to different degrees of success. Some of them are more charities than successful businesses, but trying to find that path. And I think one thing that we're all going to confront in our lives is we are going to suffer in this world, right? And you can suffer by being in the spot where you're going to that corporate job and the corporate job that you hate, I should say. Some people love it. I'm not talking to you. If you love your corporate job and it fulfills you, please keep doing that.
0: But people who who absolutely hate Some that. Some people need to tell us why DEI <laughs> sessions are bad, yeah. from experience, right? <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> That's a reason enough to try to get out of corporate America. But so you choose your suffering, right? And you gave the example of kids going to public school. My daughter does attend public school. It's not a, at least to what we and we're always looking at the curriculum and we're talking to other parents and teachers and. Understanding what she's learning. We're very invested in her education. And there isn't a woke agenda in this particular public school system to the degree. Hey, and you're on a
0: libertarian podcast. You can call it a government school without any ramifications. <laughs> in this government school.
1: <laughs> I should say to the degree that we're seeing in, I mean, places, it's terrifying. You know, some of the things that, that you see being taught in uh, oh, man. other government schools. But I honestly, any day, one thing could come home that we could hear and We're ready to pull her out and we have backup plans ready to go. But at this point in time right now, this season in in our life, this is what we're doing. But to go back to what I was talking about, choosing your suffering, and that's even for with your children, the decisions that we make when they're young do kind of dictate the ways in which they're going to suffer. So like to use the government school example, depending on the circumstances of that education are they learning the basic skills in that school? Is it a good government school in the part where they're actually learning how to read and write and they're not getting a woke agenda shoved down their throat? So yes, they are going to be exposed to some other things. And then you can weigh that against the suffering, using air quotes, of being homeschooled. I'm sure there's libertarians yelling at their phones right now, their listening devices, saying there, there is no suffering in homeschooling. It's all glorious. It's all wonderful. Of course they're <laughs> suffering. Of course the parents are making sacrifices and it's difficult and it's tough to teach your kids. And some days they don't want to learn. And some days they talk back to you and choosing your suffering. And I love people who homeschool and are able to do that and love doing it. I think it's fantastic. But I mean, as a little side tangent here, I think it's important to remember, in addition to the kids that are being homeschooled, your kids, yes, maybe they're getting the ideal education for them. And maybe it's the best case scenario and everything's wonderful. And they're still interacting with other children and growing socially and playing sports and all that good stuff. I know plenty of homeschooled kids or privately schooled kids who do all that stuff. But at the same time, I mean, there's another side to that coin Mm -hmm. where there's everyone else's kids, right? And everyone else's kids are in the government schools and your kids are going to grow up with these other kids in this world, in this culture that we live in. So trying to influence those schools by either supporting someone who's running for a school board who aligns with you ideologically or running yourself or getting involved in your community in some way or coaching your kids' teams or, I mean, there's so many different ways to do it, but trying to influence the lives of other children who are exposed to maybe this severe woke propaganda is important. But to come back to your original question, so choosing your suffering, I mean, to use the example of changing jobs or starting a business or starting a side hustle, is it suffering to get laid off? Right, you're going to get laid off. For some people, it's suffering to have to go into a cubicle every day and have people gossiping behind your ear about you know the inner office politics, and it can drive you mad. Or sitting in the DEI brainwashing segments, or you know hearing the different things about how they've changed affirmative action where this gender and this race, if you bring someone into the company and this gender and this race and this bucket, then you get a kickback of this much money. But if it's this gender and this race and this bucket, it's only this much money. You hear that stuff, it drives you totally insane. That in itself is a degree of suffering. But you got to choose how you want to suffer and look at the short-term and the long-term. Because if you suffer maybe in a corporate job that you hate for 40 years, you've lost 40 years. But if you suffer starting that business, if you suffer starting that side hustle, and maybe you work your butt off, maybe you give your some nights away from watching Netflix or whatever you like to watch on TV, watching baseball or football or whatever, maybe you give some of that time away and you instead invest that in learning a skill so you can start a side hustle, maybe, I don't know, editing podcasts or whatever, and building up from there just to give you something else in case you do get laid off from your job, that you're not going to daddy government to get your paycheck. And I think a lot of libertarians during COVID, I know so many people, and I know the jab is controversial. I'm sure even this libertarian audience is divided on it, but I think it's kind of universally accepted that it's not good to be reliant on having to get a pharmaceutical injected in order to go to work or to do your job. That's probably not a good thing to have as a requirement in your life in order to feed your family. So that would obviously be suffering. You know, maybe you have to go and yeah. get this jab. And that's a decision that you might feel like it's, it's being forced on you. It's being pushed on. You have to do it. But a lot, of, a lot of libertarians had to do it because they had no other strategy. There was no other path they could take. The only thing they could do is keep going to their job. They didn't have anything to fall back on. They didn't have another skill they'd build up. They didn't have their resume up to date where they could apply and start interviewing quickly and get another job, or they were constrained by where they were living and weren't ready to move. So there's so many different ways, so many different avenues that you can look into to expand your freedom and to find
0: your freedom. I think that we, to go back to the offer grace to others, right? We can offer grace to ex-cons. We can also offer grace and mercy to other libertarians who have made decisions that are suitable for their circumstances that you and I could just never stomach making, mm-hmm. right? Like the example you gave, like taking, I don't like calling it the jab, because it's sort of been, that term is sort of alt-right in my mind, which yeah, well, I realize the, is I'll it, just tell that you the, re-
1: the reason I use it, and sorry, sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but the reason I use it is strictly because of YouTube, and we've had, we've had so much content flagged and taken down, and you know, our channel got strikes, so. Oh,
0: really? So you're saying using that term means it's far less likely to get flagged on YouTube? Oh yeah, if you use the the V word it's much more likely to get flagged. Uh, oh oh oh. Oh that's funny. I had never thought about that. I have only heard sort of hardcore Trump right people call it the jab and in capital letters and sometimes if the formatting allows they do the trademark superscript or whatever. But Right. Uh, okay, that's interesting. That's funny. So anyway, all right, so back to my actual comment. On what you were saying, sometimes, you know, I think that in particular is a really good recent example of like the kinds of decisions that one has to make. And I don't begrudge anybody for having to make that kind of decision. Yeah. The circumstances are going to be different. Like you said, like maybe they can't move and get a new job or maybe the new job just won't pay the bills. And okay, fine. I can extend grace to that. We're sitting here at a moment where a lot of those decisions are a little bit in the past. And so it's a good time to reflect on, well, how can we prevent this kind of thing from happening? And, you know, you mentioned the sort of post-libertarian mindset of, like, taking ownership over the things that you can do to control your life if the government really comes down hard on you. Mm -hmm. Alternate streams of income, saving a little more aggressively, those kinds of personal responsibility things that, of course, we would promote. Now is the time to consider doing that. I know that during the early months of the pandemic, I look back and realize that I did not prepare, contemplate enough from a business perspective for the coming year or so. And my family, we were fine. But I also look back at that as like, wow, I did not seize the day. I had a lot of time on my hands, more than I expected to. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, I did seize the time to spend time with my family. We did a ton of things in addition, you know, that we could never have been able to do since we were all home. But from other perspectives, I think I uh, could look back at that and say, you know what, I could have done better. So now I'm already thinking about like, well, I don't think there's going to be a pandemic of that sort on the near horizon. But if it does, or if there's something very similar in its effects, I'm going to be more prepared. And now is the time to reflect on that.
1: No, I, I 100% agree with you. And yeah, like, uh, I don't think we'll have a exact repeat, the same thing play out the same way but it does seem like we're living at a time where government tyranny is accelerating and whereas before the pandemic it was kind of hard for me to visualize how some of these things could or would play out and this could be something that could take a decade to play out or even longer but it is only a matter of time until there is a central bank digital currency and every transaction That we make is tracked by the government. That's something that's absolutely going to happen. And sure, I mean, that's not the end of the world. I think some people talk about the CBDC and think, well, once they get the CBDC and they get our claws into us, it's just over. Let's put our hands up. Liberty is lost. And we kind of forget that. I mean, they've had a lot of that over us already. They've been monitoring our conversations and all of these different things that, you know, taxation has been out of control for a very long time. So that's not to minimize a CBDC, but, you know, I think as libertarians and as Christians, we need to remember we've been living in a fallen world for a very long time. And these creations of the world that are creations of the devil, be it, at least I believe, I don't know if you agree, but like use the internet, for example, or AI, AI is a, you know, a big thing that you know, everyone's talking mm-hmm. about with, chat GPT and the effects of it and what should we do? I mean, should we even be using it and kind of the way that I look at it, at least at AI and at the internet is, but we can still use these things for good. We can still use these things to advance Christ's message. And yes, there's going to be bad aspects to them because we live in a fallen world. Right. And with a CBDC, yes, there's going to be a lot of bad things that happen, but yeah, maybe there are other avenues with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin And there's things that we can, people can learn how to use those to create some freedom in their life. So these are extremely complicated times, but I keep wanting to check myself and think, are these really that much more complicated than people dealt with in the past? And maybe they are. Maybe there's just so much information now and information overload with the internet. Obviously, it's very different than the complicated decisions that that people dealt with in the past. And I'm not saying that there's similarities there, but I think, We forget that this world has always been fallen. The prince of this world has always been in control. And the only path to God has always been, well, after Christ came back, has always been through Christ on the cross. So, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just something that I've kind of been wrestling with recently.
0: Yeah, I've often thought of what it was like to go through the Great Depression. I thought about this back in 2007, 2008, when we had the bank failures and the recession Mm -hmm. then. And I wouldn't say I was right in a prediction, but the way I realized that it wasn't going to be as bad was that, first of all, there's a lot more people. And so the economy is a lot less tangible to talk about. There was many economies and some economies were affected more than others, depending on what industries you were in. I mean, that's more commonly used word, which industry, you know, the trucking industry or the food industry or the pharmaceutical industry or the banking industry. Those are smaller pieces of the, are large, but they're segments of the economy that were affected in various ways. But the other thing that I kind of noticed was that we've got a lot more stuff. Like we have a lot more physical goods. Like you hear stories about the Great Depression and they didn't, they just didn't have bread or they didn't have this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, why didn't you make bread? Well, we didn't, we, that's not what we did. Or, well, I guess they made bread back then. But like, it just seemed like we have such an abundance of material goods in this start of this century that they didn't have a hundred years ago. Right? Or... Mm-hmm. years ago. And so, I don't know. I don't think it was, I forget where I was going with that in my thought process, but just sort of to comment that I think it is a different world, but the fundamental, the devil is against us, and there is always going to be a beast after us, (laughs) Yeah, to sort of harken a little bit to the book of Revelation is always going to be there. And sin is going to affect our lives. We're going to be tempted by almost always the same things, just in different ways. Sometimes it'll be harder than others in different generations. I think the sexual temptations and debauchery in that regard are far easier to fall into for our kids than it was for us as kids, just because of the internet. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I often think about what sort of... Call it ancient wisdom. It could just be wisdom from fifty years ago, about how do we walk with Christ? How do we make personal decisions? How do we relate to one another in a way that is reflective of Christ-likeness, And how do we resist? How do we resist the devil in the form of what other forms the devil is taking out in society? Whether it's systemic, I'm okay calling it systemic sin. Something like the Federal Reserve system, right? Mm -hmm. Or social. What's the word that the left often uses? societal sin or corporate sin or corporate evil or systemic evil and all that. I'm fine with those terms when applied very specifically to kinds of things that are very oppressive. But in any case, I think that how we work out our allegiance to Christ has personal effects is very important for us to kind of talk through and to kind of reflect on. And I think conversations like this are really important, John, because You and I have had the type of conversation where we're very reflective of what we're choosing to do, what we've advocated to others to choose to do, and the Mm -hmm. fact that the problem still is always going to exist. That we have to decide for ourselves and for our families what our lives look like, regardless of what the state is doing.
1: Yeah, just to continue to be reflective. I guess that's the tone for this episode right now. I I don't know why I'm I'm, (laughs) feeling that way. But so, yeah, when I started Felony Friday... I was a christian at the time but i was afraid to really talk about my own journey as a christian or even ask my guests about theirs and and in talking to many of fallon's people who've been to prison that was a part of their story and rather than taking the opportunity to dive in and ask more questions around that i would just kind of move on and i guess i just wasn't ready for that for whatever reason Mm there's definitely been a shift in the past year where it's been put on my heart. And maybe I should go back and re-interview some of those people because I think that would be the most powerful component of that story to dig deeper into it. And plenty did go into it in those older interviews, but I I just feel like I could have done more to make Christ the center of that interview rather than just kind of making it comment in the middle and, and, and a piece of the story, making it the story. Not every interview, but reflecting on it, there's definitely some that yeah that I could have done a better job.
0: We are cursed as podcasters with the we listen to ourselves from a month or two ago because you know we're if we're smart, we're that far ahead and our best moments. And then we're like, oh man, that could have been so much better had I gotten more <laughs> sleep or prepared better or, or whatever. I appreciate yeah. you, John, joining me for this conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to say about what you're up to?
1: Yeah, I'll just go ahead and plug the Lines of Liberty Network. Come over, check us out. If you haven't listened or if you used to listen and you left, come give us a listen. I, I my show has changed. We've talked about here in the past couple of years, it's changed a lot. So come check out the new show Finding Freedom. It's on Mondays on our Lines of Liberty Network. And then on Wednesdays we have I forgot the name of Brian's show. I just I just, I just went totally totally blank. It's called <laughs> Mean Age Daydream. And Brian's show is more around current events politics, culture, things like that. I will give a warning, though. There is going to be a little bit of cursing. So if you're listening around children, just be aware of that. I don't know how you can't curse when you're talking about current events
0: lately, John. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and then on, uh, on Fridays, we've been trying something new out where we have a show called Meme Wars. And we can listen to podcast form, of course, but we're trying to encourage people to come to YouTube or Rumble. And we talk about, you know, some different you know, short videos or memes that are just current for that week and
0: give a little libertarian spin on them. Awesome. Well, John, thank you for joining me for this. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you like today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group. You are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.